You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, a tumultuous May for markets ended almost exactly where it started. What does it mean to tech valuations in summer months to come? We will discuss. And could online dating be the one market that will be spared? We'll talk to an analyst who says companies like Bumble, Tinder, and Hinge are recession-proof. Plus, from where the next COVID wave will hit to just how high inflation will go to the winners of the Grammys, a new predictions market lets you bet on just about anything. We're going to meet a controversial exchange that's actually legal for now. And finally, the Supreme Court just blocked a Texas law that could transform Twitter and Meta. We'll have a report live from Washington. All of that in a moment, but first, let's get a look at the markets and stocks in particular tech ending May almost exactly where they started this month. I want to stick with the markets now and specifically talk tech with Michael Wolf of Activate. Michael, always good to have you back here with us. So look, what do you think all the fuss was about? We saw the ups, we saw the downs, and then at the end of the month, we're back right where we started? Well, I mean, part of this is, reflects that investors are concerned that the growth rates are slowing down. It's not as if these businesses businesses aren't growing quickly. And yes, they're concerned about rates, but to a large extent, it's it's all this is this is a correction. It's not a bubble bursting. And in fact, when you people keep making this comparison to 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 1999, 2000, and they're saying, oh, it's it's another wave of this. But in reality, Though we have companies that have real profits, that have real businesses, and um, and in the tech bubble in the in, in the early two thousands, what we had was business plans, and and not a lot of revenue, and certainly not earnings. Here's the question: Is it overvalued or not? And if so, what is overvalued? Uh, I mean, I think we we saw right and left the market caps of these companies being driven up. Not almost almost illogically because they were looking at at tremendous growth rates. So if you look at a company like Netflix, which is down over 60 percent, like Netflix has over 250 million paying subscribers. So 
it, it, it's yes, we've seen a we're seeing a correction in the value, but this is a substantial business, and we're going to expect it to see it continue to grow. Michael, you've been around a long time. You've got folks out there comparing this to the dot com bust. Do you think then that is totally overblown? I think it's totally overblown. The reality is that these are substantial companies. They've had substantial growth. They are leading in a lot of case. They're having moats around their business, which makes it very difficult to compete against them. It's a totally different situation. Now, if you look at the 2008, 2009, you see a number of companies that were started in those days. And it gives you a sense there's likely to be so if you looked at Venmo and Square and, and, and others and Airbnb and Uber, they were started in that period during the last recession. So we should see a lot more innovation and a lot more activity. But um, but these these companies are substantial and they're going to stay substantial. What do you think about the M&A market? Obviously, we've seen this massive Broadcom VMware deal. I wonder if that is in a league of its own on the heels of, you know, maybe Twitter, which is also a unique situation. And then, of course, there was Microsoft and Activision. But are we going to see more big time M&A through this uh, tumultuous period? To a large extent, it's going to be different. There's going to be different buyers. So one of the places where we should see a lot of M&A is in enterprise software. So if you look at the take private of McAfee, if you look at Salesforce and Slack, those are the kinds of, of acquisitions that we should continue to see. Now, one of the things that's also different is we're likely to see um, more private equity deals. So if you look at, we have Nielsen's take private at 16 billion. We have um, we have other businesses like Toma Bravo's purchase of Proofpoint. We're, we're going to see a lot more because it, the market is, we're seeing some capitulation in terms of pricing. And this is a moment when private equity firms can rush in and they can find businesses that are, that were way overvalued versus a year ago. All right, Michael Wolf of Activate. Always good to have you on the show, Michael. Thank you for giving us uh, the silver lining on some of this stuff. Meantime, Taiwan-based iPhone maker Hanhai expects supply chain disruptions to gradually clear up as Shanghai slowly opens to trade after months of COVID lockdowns. Hanhai chair Young Liu told shareholders the company is more upbeat now about its 2022 sales outlook than before. Hanhai, of course, is Apple's largest assembly partner. From the outcome of the Grammys to the next COVID wave to future SEC commissioners, you can now bet on all of these things with CallSheet, a controversial new type of financial exchange where people can place wagers tied to outcomes of real-world events. Joining me now, Luana Lopez-Lara, founder and COO of CallSheet. Luana, thank you so much for joining us. So first of all, some, some folks have been trying to push forward these kinds of financial markets for years, but it never happened. You know, how did you make this work? Yeah, so we get this question actually uh, fairly often, and the answer isn't what most people expect. It's really about, we just had, I guess, more patience and more resilience, and we just push through longer. It's a, it's a regulatory process. It, it, it takes a long time. Innovation, especially in the derivative space, 
it's, it's, there's a lot of new things, new risks that we need to look to and the regulators are looking for. Um, and we were diligent to work with all of them for the CFTC. You can think about surveillance, customer protection, the contracts themselves, rules, a lot of different things that we had to work through and iterate uh, through two years. And we really worked hard uh, for two years and didn't give up uh, to, get, to get it through the finish line uh, and launch the, the exchange last year. So, for example, the Fed has another decision coming up, and via Kalshi, you can make a bet on what you think the Fed will do. What are your markets showing about the Fed next move? Yeah, uh, I guess to backtrack and just explain a little bit uh, how the markets work. So, you can buy yes or no positions um, on whether the market will happen, something will happen or not, and the price goes from zero to one, uh, selling to one if the if the market is correct, if your position is correct. Um, and because the price is from zero to one, the, the price, so, so like for example, 60%, 60 cents, means there's a 60% chance something will happen. So you can really tr directly translate the price to the probability. If you say that price is truth. Uh, with the Fed markets, we have um, different markets for every FOMC meeting. So for 25, 50, or 75 basis points hikes, um, our markets are saying that for the June FOMC meeting, we will be seeing a 50 basis point hike with 95% chance. The markets are also saying that the July meeting will see another 50 basis point hike with 90% chance. Um, and across the whole year, uh, the markets are expecting 10 um, Fed, Fed hikes versus I think a couple months ago it was predicting around seven. Um, so, so definitely a lot of hikes coming. <laughs> so President Biden just, uh, you know, unveiled this whole plan to keep inflation down. What do your markets say inflation's actually going to do? Right. We also have markets on inflation from 0% to 1.2 in every month of the year. The markets are saying that the next inflation print coming out next week will be at around 0.65% month over month or over the whole year, 8.2% inflation. Um, our actual markets have, have predicted seven out of the eight um, past inflation prints correctly. Uh, so our, our, our traders have not been surprised at all to see the high, high inflation numbers. Um, but it, it's important to say that for the rest of the year, um, so annualized for the rest of the year, the markets are expecting a, around 4% annualized and December around 3%, uh, which really is around um, normal level. So really expecting inflation to go back to normal. Now, regulators initially said no to an exchange like this, but, but, but recently changed course. Isn't this gambling? Why should this be legal? That is a great question. Um, our, we are an exchange the same way that the CME or the New York Stock Exchange are exchanges. And you trade events on our exchange the same way you trade stocks or futures on CME or the New York Stock Exchange. We are basically just a trade matching engine that matches different people trying to take different positions. So if you take our Fed markets, for example, right, um, our markets are a way to trade, hedge, or get exposure to Fed events, the same way interest rate swaps are, defined, are designed to do, but ours are made in an exchange in an accessible and simple way. Um, we really think that, that bringing it to, to, people have actual risks associated to this, like if you have a student loan, tied to the 10-year treasury, or if you're trying to refinance your home, you have real risk associated to the Fed raising rates, and you should have access to the same types of benefits that Wall Street does. This isn't gambling. This is finance at its best. It's about hedging risk and getting exposure to, to what you, you have. You face risk in your everyday life.
Now, I'd love to learn a little more about your personal story. I know you're from Brazil and you studied Bolshoi Ballet, which I assume was hours a day. How do you go from, you know, potentially becoming a professional ballerina to going to MIT and launching a, a, a markets startup? Well, that is a great question. I definitely have an unconventional uh, <laughs> path. Um, yeah, so I, I used to be a professional uh, ballerina. I used to train, as you said, eight hours a day uh, in, at the Bolshoi Ballet, and I worked professionally in Austria for a bit. And I think that really changed and, and marked how I am as a person. I think a lot of discipline and a lot of you know, sacrifice and, and looking to more longer-term um, payouts versus very short-term payouts, I think definitely helped with, with starting Kaoshi. But I was always fascinated by math and science. Uh, so I went to MIT to study CS and math, and at the very beginning got fascinated by the finance world, history of markets, market structure. Um, and from then, it was worked at a couple of, of hedge funds, but I really wanted to make a mark of my own. So um, encountered the, the, Kaoshi, the Kaoshi problem, which for us really is, People should have the same access, uh, people, everyday businesses should have the same access that institutions have to hedge risks they have associated to events. Most trading is based on events. You think rates are gonna hap- like go up, you do this in the stock market. We want to bring this to everyday people and let them do the same and have the same benefits. Um, so yeah, definitely a convoluted story, but, but I think <laughs> it all adds up in the end. <laughs> uh, last quick question, what's your position on crypto then? You know, isn't that you know, a market that's already pretty well established where you've got high risk, high reward? You know, why not put your money in crypto instead? That is a great question. I think crypto has wiped out a lot of people in the past couple of months. You can take the Luna example. I think that it needs more regulation. I think a very small portion of crypto markets are regulated nowadays, and you see a lot of scams just going around of like easy 20% yield or something like that. And in the end, they just use your money. And it's really people's savings. There's like actual victims to this. So I really think it needs more regulation, and it needs to, to be brought up, brought into the regulatory oversight in the US. Um, I guess the, with us, as you said, it's like you can also make money and lose money, but the difference is that we regulated that this won't be a systemic risk, that all the risks are explained to people. And, and regulation brings this fantastic thing, which is customer protection. All right. Luana Lopez-Lara, founder and COO of Kalshi. We'll keep watching. Thank you. The U.S. Supreme Court has blocked a Texas law that critics say would fundamentally transform Twitter and Meta's business by requiring them to allow hate speech and extremism. Greg Storr, who covers the Supreme Court for Bloomberg, joins us now. So, Greg, first of all, give us the context on this Texas law, which has been moving through the courts, went into effect in Texas earlier this month. It did, and uh, the social media industry had been very worried about it. The appeals court didn't give any explanation for letting the law take effect, and the social media companies said the the impact on them would be tremendous. They would have to uh, radically change their operations uh, to remove the ability or to to make it such that they could no longer essentially moderate content. Uh, The Supreme Court let that ruling, that lower court order, stay in effect for a couple weeks, And now finally the court has intervened and said, yes, we're going to block that law again. Is there reasoning as to why they're blocking a law and what does it mean? Not from the the full court. We did get a dissenting opinion from three conservative justices. And interestingly, one of the liberal justices dissented without giving her any explanation at all. Those three dissenters said uh, they saw this as an affront to state sovereignty, blocking the law. They uh, 
uh, would let it stay in, in effect. But from the court as a whole, no, we didn't get any explanation. Is this the end of the road for this law or does it still have, uh, you know, an opportunity for, for another life? No, it still has an opportunity. This just blocks the law while the litigation goes forward. And that litigation will go forward before that federal appeals court that said the law could take effect. So there may be st- still be some, some serious fights uh, on the hands of the social media companies and their trade groups, which were the ones that, that sued to challenge this law. Um, one other thing to note here is that there's another law, a lot like this in Florida, that one was also blocked by a federal appeals court last week. So give us some examples, if this law is upheld, give us some examples of what Twitter and Facebook would not be able to do that they do now. Well, the law says uh, you can't engage in what's known as viewpoint discrimination. And what that means is you can't say, oh, that's hate speech. And because it's hate speech, we're going we're gonna to take that down or we're going we're gonna to block it. Uh, so the social media companies say, we would have to allow neo-Nazi screeds. We would have to allow anti-gay screeds uh, and um, really would not have that ability to serve as kind of a traffic cop uh, on their platforms. Okay. Greg Storr, Bloomberg News. Thank you. We'll continue to follow that law um, and the Supreme Court's next take. All right, well, buy now, pay later is a popular option for the youngest generation. But as the economy takes a tumble, many are struggling to repay all these small loans. Joining us now, the CFO of a firm, Michael Linford. Take a listen to him earlier with Bloomberg Shanali Basik. I think it's really important that investors, uh, the media, the users of our product understand just how different a firm is. We're different from both the traditional financial institutions who offer revolving credit products, and we're different than the BNPL competitors that I think are being poked at in that particular analysis. Well, a lot of our mission. Go ahead. Yeah, a lot of those competitors, they've never seen a down cycle, and we're about to experience something of the sort now. So, do you think that they're going to experience something of a washout there? I think you're already seeing pressure on a lot of these players. Um, the, you have. A people like a firm who takes our mission and our mission has created a business model that makes it so that we don't charge late fees, we don't allow consumers to revolve on debt, we do not allow deferred interest. And these kind of consumer-oriented positions in our business has made it so that we don't have a choice but to underwrite very carefully. We have no way in our business model to support consumers who don't pay us back. In our most recent quarter, we posted unit economics of 4.7% of GMB, 70 basis points ahead of our long-term guidance. We stand out amongst all the other players. You have some players who are doing headcount reductions to try to save costs in order to afford these credit losses. And we're in the opposite position. We're very front-footed. We're adding to our team because our unit economics are in exceptionally strong uh, position right now because of our world-class underwriting. And that's not an accident. We had to build that based upon how our business model was built from the first day and how we treat consumers. You know, the other thing you had mentioned, too, is that you're in a position to grow from here, even in a tough environment. What kind of hiring plans could you have ahead, especially as you're seeing that some of your rivals are cutting their workforce? Yeah, we, we really like our position in the market. You saw um, earlier this month, we hired a, a bunch of engineers from a, a payments company that was having a hard time, and, and they were winding up operations. 
we view this as one of the better markets for labor right now where we have a, a, a strong need to build great products. We're, we're not constrained in terms of our opportunity. We help enable the world's fastest growing payment method and we're in the very early innings of what our category will become. So we need a big team of engineers to go tackle that opportunity. And so we're very excited to be able to, to aggressively grow our business, again, responsibly. A firm CFO there, much more ahead. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. It is another day, another delay for Elon Musk's SpaceX. The Federal Aviation Administration says it now expects to complete an environmental review of the rocket maker's Texas facility in mid-June. Another pushback, which 
potentially delays the timeline for Starship, Musk's Mars moonshot. This is the fifth time, in fact, that the FAA has postponed the release of this report. For more on what it all means, our Ed Ludlow here with me. So is the FAA buying time here? What's going on? It's impossible to know. You know, today's May 31st. I was waiting for this because it was the day they were due to make a decision. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper because I'm not embarrassed about that, M. <laughs> they have delayed it five times. And the last time we were waiting for this was on April 29th. So I sat here waiting and they delayed it till May 31st. But it's important because SpaceX cannot make any progress on this Starship plan, the testing phase at least, until they get clearance from the FAA. Now, you were on the ground in Boca Chica right. in February, remember that vividly, and it, Elon Musk made it sound like Starship was just around the corner. Right, and, and at that time, he basically expected that the regulatory side of things, this environmental review would be done in a couple of months, a test flight, the hardware would be ready in a couple of months, and he had an even bolder prediction for what would happen. Take a listen. Might be a few bumps along the road, but it'll work. Um, I feel, uh, at this point, highly confident that we'll get to orbit this year. Classic Musk. Classic he said Musk. orbital test flight by the end of this year. But okay. we don't know where we stand now because this key beast keeps getting delayed. Well, so that was my next question. What do we know about where we stand with Starship? So you've seen the video. I think if the Mr. Director will play it again, the explosions, the kind of successful tests, they've only really done hops off the ground. And what Starship needs to do is an orbital test flight. That's kind of the big milestone moment where it breaches Earth's atmosphere, comes back down and lands again. That's what we're waiting for. Gwyn Shotwell, who's the president COO, said it could happen in June doesn't seem like that if the FAA decision is not due now until June 13th. Meantime, of course, you've got SpaceX generally going from strength right. to strength, pulling off, you know, a lot of successes. So as of Friday, Starlink, their space satellite constellation-based internet service is available in all seven continents. It expanded to Africa as of Friday. That's quite an achievement. Mm -hmm. And today... This May 31st, really important date. Ten years ago, first unmanned Dragon mission to ISS. Two years ago, first manned one. They're dominating, you know, this industry. But we really care about Starship because, it's, like you said, it's the Mars shot or the moon shot. All right. Ed Ludlow, thank you. We'll keep watching. You'll keep us posted. Well, today marked the first day on the job for the new CEO of Match Group, Bernard Kim. He is leaving Zynga, where he's been president since 2016. He's taking over for Shar Duby, who's been at the company for the last 16 years. It is a pivotal time for dating apps, especially as we emerge from the pandemic and much of the world faces inflation. I am joined now by Shweta Kajuria, an analyst at Evercore, who just published a deep dive on not only Match, but also Bumble. So, Shweta, what do you make of this new leadership and also coming from the gaming space to online dating. Is that a good thing? Well, we'll have to see. I, I, uh, he's done a good job at Zynga. Match is slightly different, but also similar in a lot of ways. Uh, there are two things that are good, I think. are One, that there are some similarities between what he did at Zynga and at Match. Portfolio of assets and a global business, both in favor of what Match's strategy is. The other thing that's good is that Shar is not really leaving. She is going to be part of the board and she will be working uh, as an advisor to, um, uh, to Bernard. And also, it's not, uh, the, the CEO change is not 
uh, a, a, a turnaround story. It's not like Peloton where you, you have to rework everything. This is a functioning business. It's a strong leader in online dating in its category, a global business. And he's going to come in and it's going to be business per usual, at least for the near term. And then as he settles in, he will throw in his own strategy as he gets comfortable. So I don't think there will be huge turbulence in the, in the business uh, as he comes on board. So let's talk about your new report, because you're basically saying that you think online dating, and as we go through all of this market volatility, you think online dating is recession-proof. Why? Well, uh, largely recession-proof. The, the beauty of, uh, or the challenge of being in consumer internet is that none of our names are uh, recession-proof, really. Uh, so they're, they're certainly Im impacted by inflation, but when you compare it to the rest of our coverage, yes, they're largely resilient. Um, and the, our survey shows that almost 80% of those who are actively looking for a relationship are going to use uh, the online dating apps just as much or even more over the next, call it six months to 12 months. And so that tells me that usage is not going to change. Um, the second read-through was that uh, if there is inflationary pressure and there is a recession in the next six months, uh, most of them, uh, of our survey uh, respondents, said that they would be willing to pay about $17 a month on average for an online dating app. And that's where we are today. So it's not that they would pay any less. Now the question is, well, Bumble is slightly more expensive, so would that come from Bumble? And I don't think so. I don't think that may be the case either because Bumble has several different tailwinds. So when you look at the online dating landscape and the options out there is, you know, Bumble or uh, Tinder, Hinge, Match, are they all more or less equal in your view or do uh, some stand out over others? I think some stand out over others. What our uh, survey also showed is that Bumble is really gaining market share. And the uh, one of the biggest investor questions into the Q1 print was, what, where, is, where is the market share shift? Is, it, is Bumble gaining share from Tinder? Is it something else? Our survey shows that really Tinder continues to be the leader in the market, but Bumble is gaining share from Plenty of Fish and eHarmony. So other apps that have been around, but may not be as powerful as a Bumble. And so in the United States, our survey shows it's Tinder as number one, Bumble as a clear number two, and Hinge is also gaining ground to now number four, back from number seven last year. So not all apps are created equal, even though the target target market may be slightly different depending on your background uh, or one's background. But it, what Match and Bumble are doing with the product is certainly superior to some of the other apps out there. Well, engagement is one thing, but getting people to pay for it is the other. You know, which of these do you think is the best at, at generating that, that revenue and getting users to pay up for something that, that, that many of them think should be free? Yeah, great question. All of almost all of these are freemium models at different prices, at different price points. But our survey shows that most users are willing to pay for Tinder, eHarmony, Match. Bumble and Hinge. These are the top five paid for apps. And some of the reasons for eHarmony and Match is also because of the demographics. They're older, uh, uh, older age folks who may have greater savings and are more serious about relationship. And that's where the payer conversion is slightly greater in those apps. Um, but at the same time, on average, our survey shows it's about 30% conversion, which 
maybe is a little skewed because I know that Bumble's conversion rate is slightly lower. Uh, but there's the, the point still holds that there's long runway for growth in terms of how many users there are that use for free and then how many the potential the, there is that they can convert. And the other thing I'll add is it's not only subscription. They are now also adding a la carte services. You can buy a feature. Uh, instead of just paying for a monthly subscription and you can just pay as you go as you use more features and that's also gaining share. So what are the, ri the risks to the online dating sector? Well, the risk is that the reopening across geographies is not the same. So, for example, Japan is number two market for match, and that has been very slow in terms of seeing the reopening and people actually meeting in person. And that has been a drag on their growth rate because uh, Bumble, uh, Pairs, and uh, Pairs and Tinder are both really big in Japan. So, one of the biggest risks is, is, the, is the reopening curve across different geographies. The second risk is that not all demographics are the same. And so if there is inflationary pressure, uh, it is possible that some apps may lose share over others. Um, and that'll be the question of which ones people decide to keep versus let go. All right, Shweta Kajuria, analyst at Evercore. Thanks so much, Shweta. Time now for our crypto report and Bitcoin higher for a fourth day. The big, the bouncing back above $30,000 and then some as it recovers from a sharp decline in the past three weeks. But it is still down 16% in May. Our crypto contributor, Shanali Basik, here with more. So, Shanali, when you look at the broader equities picture, we're kind of back where we started here at the end of May. But with Bitcoin still significantly down. Why? Yes. What goes around keeps going around, Emily. It goes around and around. So, when you talk about Bitcoin here... <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, the price movements here, on, on one hand, you have a lot of people saying, okay, it's time to build. It's time to put our heads down in a down market and, and really, you know, make projects that will last for the long term. So what, where are we? Bitcoin has really risen in the last week. It has not risen past 32,000, but it is above that 30,000 level. We are down meaningfully on the month, as you said, about 16%, while the S&P has not moved much at all. The questions moving forward will be about correlations. I also want to draw attention, Emily, here to Ethereum. Why? Because Ethereum is also down, not just on the month, but on the week as well. So you have seen a divergence in the last week between the two large cryptocurrencies. The questions moving forward here, well, how will they react in relation to each other and react to the rest of the crypto universe and in, re in reaction to a lot of the macro environment that we've been watching so closely this month? And, uh, you know, we've been talking about those venture funds. How will they deploy money in this continuously down market? All right, Shanali, thanks much. We're going to hear more on this from Elise Colleen, founder and managing partner at the Bitcoin-focused venture firm Stillmark, who talked about all of this and more with my colleagues Matt Miller and Kaylee Lines. Take a listen. Bitcoin companies historically have really thrived in crypto winters. It's a time to build. It's a time to be focused on sound tech. And Bitcoin is that. So, I mean, we've seen Bitcoin moving back towards the lion's share of market cap. It's so fascinating that Bitcoin can be, I think right now, 44, 45% of the market cap of all crypto. And we're talking about 20,000 um, some coins. Is this not an existential crisis? 
for crypto for Bitcoin for Bitcoin for Bitcoin. So I think that Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's mascot is the honey badger. And what that represents to the community is that Bitcoin as a sound tech sort of hasn't cared about what's happening around it. It operates very independently. And in fact, that's the purpose of the protocol. Bitcoin was invented. It was emergent of two decades of work on how to build an open and fair financial system that could serve the underbanked and the unbanked in the same way that it serves the wealthy and privileged. And so Bitcoin and Bitcoin builders are generally really heads down. Now, I think something interesting that's happening today that you see reflected in the markets, in the crypto markets and in the Bitcoin market, as well as in the broader macro environment, is that there's a collision of two things. Bitcoin is cyclical. Its, its cycles have been historically driven by halvings that affect miners. And so we see about a three to four year cycle for Bitcoin, which has an impact on the rest of crypto, of course. But now we've also seen a macroeconomic downturn and Bitcoin trades as a risk on asset currently. I think that over the long term that will change. But today that's the case. And so these forces are at play in how we see um, what we see happening with Bitcoin's volatility. However, if we look back historically to 2008 and another example of a macro, a challenging macro environment, what we saw then was that new paradigms introduced by cloud and mobile were really powerful tailwinds for fledgling companies. Are are we going to see, by the way, Elise, um, any new way of, is proof of work going to be a thing of the past um, or is it still the only trustworthy way to maintain the blockchain? Proof of work is a thing of the future. So it's it's the only trustworthy way to maintain a decentralized and fair payments and financial system. And that's that's Bitcoin. But the economics of mining, the economics of proof of work incentivize investment, major investment in sustainable energy. We know that today the sustainable energy represents about 58 percent of all energy used for mining. And that's a 60 percent year over year growth. So 60 percent increase from Q1 2021. Now, the fact that Bitcoin mining has been able to so quickly transition to a sustainable energy source as the dominant source, I hope will be an example for other sectors to follow. Elise Colleen there, founder and managing partner at Stillmark. Coming up, the future of cloud growth. We're going to talk about how market volatility is impacting the cloud and the next big trends in cloud and software ahead with Greylock partner, Jerry Chen. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year, That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. 
And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We're seeing that the market is entering while it has some volatility in different parts of the world, but technology is seen as helping organizations you know, address supply chain shortages, serve customers better, get online digitally, and so demand for cloud remains very strong for us. Google Cloud Chief Thomas Curie in there forecasting cloud's growth in the midst of choppy market conditions. And 2021 was certainly a banner year for cloud investing with total VC funding hitting 50.3 billion dollars. Our next guest has a forecast on where all that funding will go in this week's Techonomics. I want to bring in Jerry Chen now from Greylock Partners. So Jerry, share your forecast with us. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me back. Look, I think Thomas is right. In a, in a volatile market and economy we're seeing right now, cloud actually is going to see increased growth in uh, market revenue, right? It's 200 billion run rate through all the big three or four cloud providers, but also from startups. We're seeing 50 billion plus last year in cloud investment by VCs, Greylock included. But I think the emphasis you see going forward is a lot around two areas. Security continues to be a big deal in the cloud. And number two, cost savings. So as we see kind of this next market, governance, developer tools, data tools, will all continue to grow, but really focus on how to save our customers money. So how do you think this market volatility will impact the broader cloud landscape? Obviously, we heard Google Cloud CEO Thomas Curry in there, sure. but it's hard not to believe that, you know, this isn't going to impact how big customers are spending their money. 
I would say big customers, the move to cloud grows about 20% year over year in terms of compound and a growth rate. So the big customers would continue to spend. And like I said earlier, the two or three areas we're seeing around are security for sure. For example, I think we saw over $7 billion in VC funding go into security startups. The big cloud customers will continue to spend on security companies. For example, Abnormal Security, one of Greylock portfolio companies, has raised a ton of money last year for email and data security. Number two, I think cloud customers will continue to spend money on things like data. So we saw like Snowflake continues to do well in the public market. Databricks continues to do well in the private market. But increasingly, startups in the Databricks and Snowflake ecosystem will be focused on how to save customers money around data costs. So I think the big three continue to grow. I think security and data and AI continue to grow. But increasingly, uh, a focus on customer spending and enterprise spending and how to reduce costs for the next two or three years would be a big focus. So how would you characterize VC sentiment? I mean, we've been hearing from VCs, you know, pull sure. back, batten down the hatches, you know, you might have to take a valuation haircut, you might not be able to raise your next round when you thought you would. How would you characterize your sentiment broadly and then that sentiment when it comes to cloud? Sure. If you look at the data from, I think, Carta and PitchBook and other uh, other data sets out there, Series A valuations are down 20, 25% from a year ago. I think Series C, Series D financing valuations are down from a year ago. And for sure, we're seeing uh, a tightening of the venture market towards a bunch of ideas. But I would say my personal sentiment, Greylock sentiment, and the sentiment of our companies here is, look, if you have a, a distinct value add, like a hard return on investment for a cloud company, and that is, Emily, either securing the company through like security products, spiral products, um, improving the digital business of the business of, of a company like AI or machine learning to help transform, transform the business, or three, saving your customers money. So if you can reduce cloud spend, reduce storage spend, reduce uh, data spend as a startup, you can have a hard ROI and you're actually going to pop to the top of a CIO's wish list. So we say in the past two or three years, we've seen a lot of great ideas thrown out there. But in the next two years, we're going to see a fewer and fewer companies really focus on um, saving money, improving the digital economy. Because if you're doing a wellness market, show a really hard ROI, Emily, you're going to get more budget mm-hmm. and more awareness from your customers. So I think you're seeing a separation in the market. The great companies will get more of the customer spend and the tier two, tier three companies will struggle to raise because they don't have a real hard ROI for the customers. So we're and saying would focus you say, on... Well, sorry, would you say that trend also extends to hiring and, and, and layoffs? I mean, because we've seen hiring freezes and, and, and layoffs kind of across the board. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are looking at their burn rates and realizing that their economics were just upside down, right? So, hey, the burn rates are not sustainable. Uh, Where the capital markets are right now aren't guaranteed they're going to raise either up valuation or even a flat valuation. So we're seeing a lot of companies say, hey, I'd rather be uh, slightly conservative save my money for the next, not one year runway, but two years of runway until the capital markets and venture markets get a little bit more um, predictable. Because I think just like the public stock market hates uncertainty, the private markets around venture companies and startups also hate uncertainty. So until we have a lot more certainty of what like the Series B, Series C, Series D financings look like, you know, a lot of startups are going to be a little more conservative. But that said, if there's a good okay. ROI on their spend on sales and marketing, Emily, they're going to continue to hire sales reps, continue to hire engineers, 
the good comes would do well. But I think we just need a little more clarity where the market's going. Jerry Chen, Greylock Partners, great to have you back with us, Jerry. Thanks for giving us a view on the cloud ahead. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We'll be right back here tomorrow. I'll be joined by Resma Shaojani, founder of Girls Who Code, and David Kirkpatrick to talk about that new Supreme Court ruling on the Texas social media law. That's tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.